Support for Innovation Hub comes from Mimecast. Nearly 30,000 companies worldwide use Mimecast to help prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, phishing, and impersonation attacks. Mimecast, committed to making email safer for business. Mimecast.com. Support for Innovation Hub comes from the Graken Center for Addiction at Boston Medical Center, making long-term recovery a reality for patients like Cassie, who now supports others struggling with the disease. You can see Cassie's story and learn more at bmcaddiction.org. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. When you hear the phrase liberal elite, who do you think of? For a lot of people, it's professors sitting in an ivory tower with suede elbow patches on their blazers. And certainly, thinking of professors as liberal is correct. They overwhelmingly lean left. Elite is kind of a different question. Most professors aren't rolling in money, so it depends on how you define elite. But back to the liberal thing. How did professors as a group become so liberal? And who cares? There aren't that many professors in the country, so why does it matter what their ideology is? Sam Abrams joins me to answer those questions. He's a professor at Sarah Lawrence College who has researched the ideological diversity at universities around the country. Sam, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I know you've looked at this in terms of data, and I want to dig into that. But first, let's just go back to that big picture question, which is, even if professors are overwhelmingly liberal, does it matter? I mean, clearly, the country is fairly evenly split, Republican and Democrat. So whatever the effect of liberalism on campus is, it somehow seems to be balanced out by culture overall. So does this matter? I think it does. I think if you look to where social movements around the country have started, they they start on our colleges and universities. It's hard to look back to the 60s and not think about protests mm-hmm. uh, around the nation, whether it's Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young songs about Youngstown, Ohio, or, or we think about uh, protests uh, against Ronald Reagan in, in the 1980s at, at People's Park in Berkeley. So much of our nation's cultural capital, where ideas come from, where movements start, where ideas are formed, these are engines of innovation, engines of ideas, they, they emanate from our universities. If we look at where around the country uh, we see a lot of growth and development, where tech is starting, where meds, uh, so the term is meds and eds, where mm-hmm. you know all of this sort of work occurs, it's at our colleges and universities. So while I completely agree that the number of faculty in this country is not huge whatsoever, right, right. Uh, there is a very outsized influence that, that faculty have. So I, I think that what we as a community of faculty do uh, does shape quite a bit about how we see the country and how we engage both domestically and globally as well. So explain the numbers that you found in your research in terms of like how professors are split ideologically. What we found, or what I found rather, was that in the 60s up until today, if you take a look at the ideological balance of Americans, it hasn't really moved quite frankly. Hmm. You know, Americans lean a little bit to the right on the ideological spectrum, and that's been the case for the past 50 or 60 years. If we look at then college students over the same time period, it is definitely the case that in the 1960s, college students did lean pretty progressive, pretty liberal. And by the 1970s, mid-1970s, they leaned slight left. And they've been leaning slight left ever since. And this is college students. These are college students, yes, indeed. So we have college students leaning slight left, except in the 60s when they were much more left. But since the 70s, they've been slight left. The American public has been very stable, uh, slight right. And I've spent uh, over a decade looking at that. And then the interesting group are 
faculty. So in the 1960s, the faculty were actually less progressive, less left of center than the students that they were teaching. And they were slight left until the mid to late 90s. By the mid to late 90s, professors started veering way left, so much so that if you take a look at the data, you know, they're just on a, on a different planet on average uh, compared to both the American populace at large and then the very students that they teach. And, and what percentage of professors did you say say they lean like very much to the left? Uh, you're looking at uh, 60 to 65 percent. Really? OK. But and then the American public as a whole? Uh, not that much. Uh, 10, 12, 15 percent. OK, well, that is a huge difference. But exactly. here's, here is my other question. You said that in the 60s, in the 70s, uh, professors in the 80s, professors said, oh, yeah, we lean slightly left. Um, but then something like 20 years ago, people started to move. Professors started to say we lean very left. Yes. Right. Exactly right. What happened in the in the 90s or how did that shift occur? Can you tell? Yes. So a couple of things. The first is this principle that we have in the social sciences called homophily. And that is basically the idea that birds of a feather flock together. People like to be around like-minded people, for better or for worse. Uh, and we see this uh, in, in practically every dimension, whether it's it's musical tastes, housing tastes. You know, some people are, are suburban types. Other people definitely like urban. And we have this sorting effect that, that occurs. And we see this all over nature and, and in various facets of, of human life. So, you know, you're going to see people who go into academia have a particular bend, and it tends to be more liberal. And as more and more people become more liberal, it, it sort of has this multiplying effect. It's a lot easier to be part of the dominant group that way. So that's one of the, the causes. Uh, and the other is, quite frankly, that professors began to see themselves differently in the 1990s. They began to see themselves as much more of this professional class. And what I mean by that mm. is they saw this as these, you know, they're not just teachers, but they're teacher scholars, they're teacher activists. And one of the things that changed very, very strongly was that it's not just you teach ideas, but you can also teach activism and social change through that. If you look at various scholarly groups and, and, and even uh, the mission statement of, of, of places like Sarah Lawrence, it's not just education for the sake of education. It's education for the sense of impacting social change with it. But hasn't hasn't that always been true? I mean, I think about very elite schools and part of their mission very often has been to educate at first men, not just to make money, but to be leaders, right, to mm -hmm. lead the country. So not just like you're here to learn physics, right? right? More than that. You're here to learn things and then take that and do good for the world and like however that's interpreted. I also think about the 60s and the 70s and like they were very outspoken professors when you think about like the students rights movement mm -hmm. and civil mm -hmm. rights and stuff who were out there and they weren't just saying here's the reading in our class this week they were saying like and here's how to change the world kind of thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the thing is we don't have great data on how many people were actually doing that. Okay. What we know for sure, and, and, and this has been done and well-documented, quite frankly, uh, by various scholars who have studied the sort of change in scholarly organizations, is that mission groups like anthropological groups, for instance, or historians and the American Association of Historians have taken an overt mission of activism. And that is a very big change from what we saw earlier. The, these mission statements did not exist as strongly. Hmm. Um, you hear a lot about the Modern Language Association. You know, do they do they take a position on Israel? 
Um, I'm not so sure what Israel has to do, for instance, with uh, a lot of linguistics, but they're taking positions on this. That's interesting. I didn't know that the Modern Language Association, like, thought about politics in that way. That's interesting. Well, and, and that's my point. I mean, you know, you can't look at Inside Higher Ed or the Chronicle of Higher Ed without seeing regular discussions over, you know, the American Historical Association actually just debated and, and uh, rejected the notion of boycotting Israel. Again, I'm not so sure I understand what the AHA has to do with Israel as, as, a, as a scholarly body whatsoever. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Sam Abrams, a professor at Sarah Lawrence College who's researched the ideological diversity of professors around the country. Uh, give me a sense of the geography here. Do more conservative parts of the country have more conservative professors? Do more liberal parts of the country have more liberal professors? Sure. So it, it, it's a great question, and I thank you very much for asking it. I've spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. Uh, Nick Kristoff, uh, had a series in the New York Times uh, about, uh, you know, the, this imbalance of faculty on college campuses. And he took a lot of heat because he kept focusing on an, a select number of small liberal arts colleges. We hear quite a bit about Oberlin, for instance. Uh, the New Yorker did a huge piece on that. And we, we obviously uh, have heard about Middlebury after the Charles Murray-related uh, violence. Uh, so in trying to parse this out, one of the things that uh, there's been a lot of attention to is, is it small liberal arts colleges? Is it just these elite liberal arts colleges full of liberal faculty taking these positions? Uh, I have some data uh, that has uh, looked at tens of thousands of faculty every year for the, for the last 25 years. And uh, I can answer that very empirically and very comfortably. And the answer is no. People hmm. look to liberal arts colleges as sort of these... Um, I don't know, leaders for this liberal movement, but actually it's very evenly dispersed across college types. Uh, big universities that are public, we see the uh, very strong liberal lean. Uh, private universities, we see a strong liberal lean. Uh, we even see a liberal lean among Catholic and religious schools. It's a little less intense, but it, it, it's pretty much uniformly liberal leaning around the country. Uh, in terms of geography, are certain areas a little more uh, liberal than others? The answer is yes. Uh, New England is, is, is far more liberal. It's much harder to find a conservative professor or a, a hard right professor in mm. the New England area. But it is not the case that, in contrast, the South or parts of the uh, the West, thinking Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, are, are conservative. They're all left-leaning. Conservative students have talked about coming to campus and finding few professors or a few other conservative students to talk to. What have you seen in your own experience? Do you feel like that's an issue or or, or not not so much? No, I, I think the conservative students are, are exactly right. And I think it is a disaster for higher education, quite frankly. And I don't use the word disaster lightly. Students need to be free to question. And when a student is in a seminar or in a lecture and has a question and is afraid to ask it because they know that if it's misperceived or misunderstood or perceived to be uh, problematic in some way, uh, ideologically, or a question that might uh, promote some form of harm uh, to others based on trigger warnings and safe spaces and so on, that is the antithesis of what we're supposed to do as professors. Obviously, we're not supposed to promote things like bigotry, racism, homophobia, and, and I don't know anyone who would uh, agree uh, that that's something we should be talking about. But when students can't ask questions, that's the problem. Have you ever been in a class where um, there's a lot of tension in the room because either you or students are not sure what kinds of ideas or questions or whatever like cross a line that you're not, you know, that you feel like, uh oh, what if that's unacceptable? 
Absolutely. And it happens all the time. And it's an honor for me when that happens because it means someone let their guard down enough to be honest and to expose themselves a little bit. And that, and you know, when that happens, I jump up and I immediately take control because if you feel that there's some tension or something weird happened, that's where my experience as someone who's feeling now much older than his or his students, I, I felt <laughs> a lot, you know, I, I feel like I'm aging quite a bit that way, <laughs> but it's my job with my 15 years of experience doing this to say, let's talk about this. Let's break this down. See, it's so tricky because uh, like, where do you draw the line? If somebody, I can't, I, I can't answer. That. I know, I, mean, I know. The Supreme and, Court even says, you know, you'll know it when you see right. it in, in, in a lot of these areas. But it's, sure. it's even tricky. I don't even know that I would know it when I saw it. Like, okay, so I think a lot of people would say, well, if you had a member of the Klan speak, well, that that's unacceptable. You wouldn't invite that person. But but then, what if somebody said, well, but how about somebody who championed a war that mm -hmm. maybe uh, was a needless war and killed tens of thousands of people? Absolutely. How about that person? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I like which is worse. I mean, I, I these are these are like super hard things to figure out. Exactly. I mean, the the Klan is obviously a much easier case than say someone who championed, uh, you know, the, the Gulf War or something like that. But again, this is where faculty should be adults and discuss it. And faculty should say, look, we're comfortable with this. We're not comfortable with this. They should be asking, are we? limiting viewpoints by doing this. What is this person going to say? Should we present an alternative perspective or should we straight out ban the person from coming? And while I can't give, a, again, a bright line answer, my, my hope would be that faculty would sort of step up and, and sort of say we demand some form of balance. The point of, of some of this research that I've done is to show that it's hard for faculty demand, to demand balance when there's already no balance on college campuses whatsoever. So if we can reestablish that balance, that would be Good. Some people have encouraged things like a litmus test or affirmative action for professors or things like that. Litmus tests are very scary. That's the antithesis of, of, of what uh, I think free inquiry is about. Affirmative action for professors based on ideology is also a very scary con you know, idea to me. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how I would define it. In fact, I wouldn't want you to label me liberal or conservative. I'm very comfortably in the middle. Uh, so I would hate it if someone says, well, actually, no, we're going to classify you as a conservative. I, I don't like that. I wouldn't want that. Uh, in that regard. Do, do you ever get like the cold shoulder from your colleagues or pushback or feel like, oh, gosh, I, you know, all the time. I, I wish you weren't talking about this. this yes, is not, all the time. Yeah, okay. I have regularly been ostracized at Sarah Lawrence. I'm happy to say this on on the air. Uh, it's very uncomfortable to me. I, I, we regularly have issues with certain searches in certain fields because I don't think there's enough diversity in those fields about how they're taught or their perspectives. Uh, that the people are brought in uh, to teach. You know, the, my colleagues want a certain way of seeing the world. I say, you know, we already have five people who see it that way. Let's try to bring in someone else with a different viewpoint mm -hmm. on this very question. Um, it has led to a lot of trouble for me. That being said, I have tenure. I'm very comfortable now that I have that. And, you know, I'm pushing for this because I think my position is correct, which is simply it, we're doing a disservice to our students if we don't present this multiplicity of ideas. Sam Abrams is a professor of politics at Sarah Lawrence College. He's also a research fellow at the Hoover Institution. Sam, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Teach your children well. Their father's hell did slowly go by. If you're wondering, like I was, what defines right-leaning or left-leaning and whether there are sets of issues that you have to subscribe to, the answer is no. Abram says he classifies students, professors, ordinary people 
the way that they classify themselves. And interesting to note, faculty in the humanities tend to be more left-leaning than those in math, science, and engineering. Wellesley College in Massachusetts has actually been having conversations about ideological diversity on campus. On our website, we've got a link to a story from our colleagues at WGBH about their efforts. That's at innovationhub.org. Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com/CSB1